0: Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Home Efficiency.
1: Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community and do it for a living, make money? You can. Check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com. Check out.
2: We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. Today we're talking with Sam Ahrens from Lyft. He's been Director of Sustainability at Lyft for almost three years. Uh, And I think that's, I mean, I'm sure Lyft has always had a kind of environmental component. but. Sort of the EV initiatives and whatnot have uh, have been around that same time period, as far as I re- recall from covering covering Lyft's initiatives. Can you say a little bit uh, to start off uh, what Lyft's overall forecast and targets are with regard to electric vehicles?
1: Definitely. Well, it's great to be here, and thank you so much for for having us on the show today. Um, yeah, so back in June of 2020, we announced uh, the first commitment to getting to 100% electric vehicles on our platform by 2030. Um, we were really excited to make an announcement because, um, you know, in light of the kind of three intersecting um, global crises that we're currently living through, there's the pandemic, there's, of course, climate change that is, has been there for a long time, is going to keep being there. Uh, and we have the, um, the racial justice movement. And all these three things together uh, made us realize that, hey, we, we have a really um, a responsibility really to, to build back from, from all of this better, more equitable, cleaner. And why don't we start by making a commitment to clean vehicles and uh, put a stake in the ground and try to get the whole you know, ecosystem of transportation moving in that direction as fast as we can.
2: And, you know, there's, I guess, th- there's always this this struggle. We even see it with a uh, giant like Tesla, where uh, the the struggle of being a startup, growing, surviving, while also being as 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 noble as possible, as you know, as clean and green and, and uh, equitable as possible. What can you speak a little bit to the challenge of Lyft growing and surviving at the same time as pursuing these these broader ideals?
1: Well, in our case, you know. We don't view them as mutually exclusive at all. And in fact, um, I, I would say it's not a challenge. And um, when we look out into the future and we, we see the world you know, recovering from the pandemic and kind of coming back you know, as close as we can to, to life as normal, um, we think that it's actually going to be economically beneficial for drivers to be adopting EV technology and therefore beneficial for Lyft as a company too because anything that helps drivers uh, is is good for for everybody. Um, And that's because of course, electric vehicles have lower operating costs than gasoline vehicles. Um, And so despite the higher upfront costs today, which by the way is continuing to come down further and further, um, those reduced operating costs in a high-mileage application like ride-sharing or ride-share driving um, means that the economic um, picture works out better for drivers more quickly. Uh, And so in the long run, we think that by moving towards this goal and and helping the drivers on our platform achieve this goal, uh, we will actually create a world that is not only cleaner and greener, but also better for the company and better for drivers economically.
2: Yeah, we've done many... um total cost of transportation total cost cost of ownership reports for uh different options electric vehicles versus different options over the years actually been doing it for i think about uh, eight years off and on um and mileage is a key factor so with high mileage i mean tesla model three could be comparable to a toyota corolla in costs um well how do you how do you explain that how do you communicate that to your drivers and how have you seen EV adoption change as you've been doing that, and, and as the market has has changed as well.
1: So the first thing that we're focusing on, um, actually, let me take a step back. So <clears throat> there are two ways that vehicles get onto the Lyft platform. One is when drivers, uh, you know, bring their own vehicle to the platform, whatever that might be. And you know, of course, if you want to electrify those, you've got to convince each and every you know single individual to understand that this technology exists, that it will work for them, that they can be saving money by driving it. Um, so there are some, definitely some challenges and some barriers there. And and what are the, uh,
2: what, what communication methods have used for that side?
1: Well, so what I was, what I was going to say was, um, there's actually another segment of vehicles on the platform, which is, uh, rental vehicles. So Lyft, uh, has a program called express drive where, uh, somebody who wants to do rideshare driving but may not have their own vehicle can rent a, a car through the express drive program and then use it to do rideshare driving on the platform. And those vehicles uh, are actually the place that we're starting because it's a little bit easier to control what vehicles are being offered and to kind of have this uh, direct communication with the people who are participating in that program since we already have the relationship with them you know, by virtue of their, their being part of it. So our initial focus um, is going to be and and has been so far on on the rental program to kind of start ramping this up. And we think that that can sort of be the tip of the spear, that we can um, create more demand uh, among the rental drivers for EVs. Because uh, even in the universe of high mileage rideshare drivers, the drivers in the rental program specifically are some of the highest mileage of the high mileage ride share drivers, because they're deliberately going out and renting a vehicle in order to do ride share driving. So not only will the economics, or we we believe the economics should be even more compelling for them. um, But they're also a little bit easier to sort of talk to and and communicate with. So we want to kind of cut our teeth on that segment of the drivers. And we've already done this by the way um, with pilots that we started in, uh, in 2019 in Seattle and in Atlanta. And then we kind of scaled that up in a bigger way in Denver, um, towards the end of 2019 and into early 2020, where we put, um, were we were able to, to get 200 uh, uh, Key in into the rental uh, program in Denver. So I think we have a good start. We wanna keep building on that and get the learnings and figure out what kinds of messages resonate. How do we talk about this? How do we make the, the case compelling um, for the people who, whose economics ought to be the best out of anybody? And then we can take those learnings and start to bring them to the, the larger population of drivers who um, are bringing their own car to the platform.
2: So for now, um, aside from communicating with, with your rental drivers um, in different ways, uh, and aside from broader PR um, announcements about your electrification initiatives, uh, you're not directly messaging or communicating with the, the first group of drivers in some way to tell them about cost of ownership of an ev versus a gas car or or um or other matters you just let them know about the rental program and then there's the broader pr uh announcements right
1: that's right and we do know that we need to figure this messaging out and figure it out you know relatively quickly because we've you know if we want to get to the 2030 goal we've got to start working on it now so we do have plans to
2: but, but you're refining it with this yes exactly right yeah that makes sense um so i guess in in regard to that second group uh yeah what what um how are you talking to them about electrification and total cost of ownership
1: so really you know what we want to do is we want to create conditions in which ev driving is so compelling that you would be silly not to do it right that it would it's just it's the you know, if you're a ride-share driver, the thing you're most concerned about is, um, you know, uh, making money. this work. Right? Yeah, exactly. making <laughs> money to survive. <laughs> so just say it yeah. in plain terms. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we want to we want to meet people where they're at. And, you know, while some people will be very passionate about climate and environmental issues, uh, some that may not be the, the foremost thing they're thinking about. And that's okay. Um, we we want to create a, a program and a, and a system where they can make more money by driving this technology. So really, this is all about, like, how do you sort of bake this into the rental uh, cost? And kind of the, the the TCO, in a sense, or maybe it's more of the TCR, the total cost of rental, um, should come out lower with an EV than it would with an ICE vehicle. Um, and so, yes, there, there needs to be um, additional communication around sort of you know, getting people familiar with the vehicle type that they may not have experienced before and kind of helping people think a little bit about uh, charging. Um, you know, we, we do have charging partnerships with both EVgo and Electrify America that are part of this uh, program in, in Express Drive. Um, so, you know, we have some information that's provided to people so they know that they can use those networks, for example.
2: Um, I mean, but, it sounds like you're sort of coming at it with a kind of cautious, you uh, very careful approach to make sure that you understand the full costs you understand the different markets you so that you're not pitching people on something uh, too loosely to you know sort of carelessly and then them being disgruntled um, but just making sure you, you have a clear picture of how it's working and then you know gradually uh, communicating that to more people and, and rolling out uh, more programs, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, that's the thing about EVs is the, the kind of central conundrum of EVs, as we all know too well, is if it's going to work for you, you've got to have a charging, you know, plan figured out. And you've got to know that the technology is going to let you do what you need to do. Um, so that's exactly the t- right. The know.
2: TCO analyses, I mean, there's a pro and con to them, because whenever you publish one, it's based on about 26 assumptions. And, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, so people are always going to complain and it's never going to fit like everyone's or anyone's actual situation. It's like, right. there's, you have to, so we we always spend much of the time explaining the assumptions, telling people to run their own, uh, analyses, but you have to be careful with what you say, how, what you promise, what you announce, uh, because you don't want someone with a different situation to come in and, and have a bad, bad story. Right. Especially Lyft, because, you know, you have some, some unhappy drivers uh, that, that can get pressed pretty quickly, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, trying to make it a compelling program, exactly. Uh,
2: so can you speak a little bit more about the various EV incentives uh, you have now and will have in the future or that you can announce and requirements as well? Do you see yourself requiring people to drive an EV uh, in different places, different regions, uh, different stages?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to incentives, you know, we, we think about that term perhaps a little bit more broadly um, in the sense of there are in many cases, uh, well, there's the federal you know tax credit, which is kind of the biggest incentive of them all that's out there. Um, then there are various state programs um, and in some cases, even regional and local programs. And what we want to do is try to make sure that those are accessible uh, to the drivers on the platform, whether they're in either of those two populations that I mentioned so for the rental driver specifically um, what we've been doing is trying to make sure that those all can kind of get passed through into a lower rental rate for the driver um, so that you know they can kind of take advantage of it that way and we've had some really good success there and particularly in Colorado um, back in 2019 um, we were able to actually and this was even in 20 18, 2019, I can't remember now, but um, we, we worked with have, the governor and the state I legislature. I have that problem check. all
2: the time. Sorry. What,
1: what year is it now? No, nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, the state in Colorado has a state-level tax credit, so it's sort of a complement to the federal tax credit that can layer on top and kind of further help to close that cost delta between um, EVs and, and ICE vehicles. Um, but the challenge with that tax credit was that it was only available to private consumers, which is, you know, it's not bad, certainly, uh, to have that available to private consumers. That's a good thing. Um, and people can go out and, and get their, you know, Teslas or their Bolts or whatever they want to have. Um, but environmentally, um, you know, it, it, does, it didn't make a lot of sense to, to exclude any corporate entities from utilizing that tax credit because getting back to the point of high mileage drivers, particularly for ride sharing, but also for other things, you know, for every dollar that the state is going to spend on a tax credit, Um, to get an EV into private hands versus into a high mileage application like ride sharing because of, you know, the three to five times more mileage per year that a ride share vehicle is going to do. Therefore you would get three to five times more kind of environmental bang for your buck if you spend that dollar of tax credit on the high mileage application. And so just environmentally, you know, climate change is happening. It's urgent. We need to do something about it. Like let's deploy this in the most impactful way we can. um, And that, You know, that argument kind of carried the day and we were able to work with the state to change that law and allow um, rental and and leasing programs that uh, work with ride sharing uh, to access that state level tax credit. And then, you know, boom, within four or five months, we were able to bring uh, the biggest deployment of EVs um, uh, in Colorado uh, into uh, our express drive program in Denver. So that was a really good example. of of capturing um, a tax credit an example where we haven't been successful is kind of the analog in california where the state has a nice uh dollars rebate uh, called the cvrp which similarly is essentially unavailable to any businesses to utilize and we've been uh, trying to make the same arguments um, in california with their resources board and uh, unfortunately have not been able to make the same progress in as we have in colorado and surprise surprise haven't been able to to do the same kind of launch in california because uh, we have not had that yet
2: yeah can you say how many evs you have in the program in cal in colorado and uh, and in other regions
1: yes in colorado uh in denver there are 200 uh evs that are in the express drive program there um and then currently we also have smaller pilots um with you know a few dozen evs in seattle and in atlanta
2: and uh- and uh, so you, you said you spoke with, you, you worked with the governor of Colorado and the state legislature um, and also working in California. Are there other specific areas where you're trying to get that kind of progress as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, there, you know, there's all sorts of states and, um, and localities that have really interesting programs that we've been um, working with. Uh, you know, recently, uh, Massachusetts has been thinking about uh, revamping their um, more EVP program um, we've been uh speaking with them a little bit about about that um oregon also has a uh, similar rebate to california it has the same name it's called cvrp also in oregon uh kind of same rules not available to, to private entities essentially um, so you know i think i think the lowest hanging fruit probably <clears throat> are the places uh, that already have programs and where we simply need to realize that you know allowing businesses to access the the rebates or the programs is a good thing um that's probably the easiest thing to do so going to be a little bit harder to create whole new programs um in states that don't have them right particularly given the uh pandemics effect on on budgets um but we're gonna gonna start with the low-hanging fruit
2: yeah it's uh uh something we would be happy to push you know actually we i've never communicated with him but um Gavin Newsom was a contributor on Clean Technica about a decade ago when Fair i enough. when I, right before i I came in um, uh, and he yeah he's still all the, I think he's, he follows us on Twitter and that stuff, uh, but it's something we would be happy to push publicly for more because as you said, you know three times the effect of a private owner buying an e v uh, if a if a professional lift uh, driver buys one so it's a really interesting little um hurdle uh, issue, I guess, that I hadn't really um, been aware of before. Uh, So, so do you have any specific EV challenges for Lyft? You know, the charging is obviously a challenge. I used to operate um, a Tesla shuttle program. It's when you're driving a lot, you know, you have to make sure you have charging in the right places at the right speeds. Uh, But aside from chart, you know, basic charging stuff, uh, are there any specific EV challenges that you guys have been facing and trying to overcome?
1: Well, um, you know, I think that the, if I may talk about charging for a minute. Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> not o- <laughs> Everybody's favorite topic. Um, not only is it just sort of a fundamental, you know, you got to have it at the right place at the right time, but it also um, affects the economics as well, of course, right? Because uh, not all charging is created equal in terms of its cost, uh, in addition to the speed at which you can charge. And, you know, right now, many drivers um, who, who do drive EVs are relying on public fast charge networks, which are, you know, somewhat decentralized. Um, the cost is typically higher, right, because there's just more trenching and kind of higher voltage lines and things that need to go into these things to allow them to deliver electricity at such a high rate um, compared to at home overnight charging, which, is both more convenient because it's just like your phone you get home you plug it in when you wake up it's charged you're ready to go Um, it's even a better user experience than having to go to your gas station Um, and it tends to be a lot cheaper because you're pulling power at a lower rate hence the the beefiness of the wires doesn't need to be as high and it's just cheaper to install Um, and electricity prices tend to be lower at night um, particularly in you know in some markets there's excess wind power you know the price could even become negative at night yeah. for example yeah. um, so it's always um, good he-
2: good headlines <laughs>
1: exactly yeah you could even be making money right by charging EVs so um, so we we are think- doing some thinking about how do we are there ways that we can help drivers uh, with uh, getting overnight charging installed in their places of residence whether that's a home where they might have their own garage that's a little bit easier. Or whether that's an apartment building that they live in and you gotta to talk to the landlord and you know that's a little bit more challenging, but but very important as well. So um yes, I would interesting,
2: definitely interesting in a lot of respects. I I we've had EVs for years, but um, have a Tesla model three with no home charging. So I've spent in this this area I'm in in Florida, they have um, a lot of public charging stations, pretty good market for EVs and they're all free. So I've spent $0 charging. Um, yeah. Actually, even before that, we had a BMW i3 for nine months and spent $0 charging with that. So, so it's, a, it's a great benefit. Uh, there, there's a the downside of having to find a place to charge. It was easier before COVID when you could sit at the coffee shop for an hour or uh, go sh- you know, uh, eat at Whole Foods for an hour. Um, but uh, it's an interesting uh, – you know, the apartment component is interesting because if apartment complexes got charging stations installed – uh, they could potentially charge for them or they could not charge for them, but it would make, uh, it'd be very, very easy for a lot more people who are perhaps in a good um, bracket for, for this service to be getting convenient charging um, where the, you know, they could go drive for a few hours, come home for a couple hours and drive again. Uh, so I don't know what, what is your current policy and practice in terms of, Trying to expand EV charging to more of those kind of locations.
1: So, we're just starting a process now of trying to figure out um, what are some good uh, programs to plug into. And, yeah, you know, there are various utilities um, or you know cities that have had uh, programs to kind of design to try to get uh, overnight charging into multi unit dwellings, as we say, MUDs in the, in the lingo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we're basically, figuring out ways to kind of get drivers hooked into those existing programs again, it's, you know, the low hanging fruit, let's find what's already out there and let's try to get people connected to it. Um, both, I guess, <laughs> in a physical way, as well as kind of a, uh, you know, the- theoretical way, but um, uh, that's probably the simplest thing, not to say that it's easy, but it's relatively simpler than trying to create whole new programs, you know, in places where nothing has existed before.
2: Uh, one or two final questions here. So uh how- you know, we've seen an explosion in the EV market in Europe this year, over ten or last year, over ten percent market share in Europe. The U.S. is doesn't have the same policies, doesn't have the same market share growth, but it's also growing. Um, how do you see the broader EV market evolving in the U.S. in the next decade? And how do you see Lyft comparing? Um, what, what, how do you see your situation in relation to that? Like, well, you know, you know
1: part of the reason we set this goal is because. I mean, it's not that it's going to be easy, but we think that we can do it. Um, that in the next 10 years, right, we have a goal to become 100% uh, electric um, and or, or have 100% electric vehicles on the platform. Um, and I think that the, the, the kind of macro factors that need to need to happen will happen. And by that, I mean, the cost of batteries, first and foremost, um, has already come down. I think it's, you know, 90% in the past 10 years or something like that. Um, we're not quite at the level that needs to be. And people talk about this magic number of $100 per kilowatt hour. I think yes. we're at, you know, 123 or something right now. But um, it's, it's we will funny, that
2: it, funny that it lines up exactly with that 100, the easy clean 100 uh, figure, numerical <laughs> figure, you know. Anyway, isn't that nice? <laughs> many, many targets like that. But yes. well, do you see the overall market being, you know, um, not hundred percent by 2030, but, uh, but not that far behind, uh, or have you not modeled that or not? Yeah.
1: I mean, if you like look at governor Newsom's executive order, right, it's, it's, it calls for, I believe it's hundred percent of new vehicle sales in California by should be electric by 2035. So it's both five years behind our target. And it's talking about just the sales of new vehicles, not completely yep. changing everything. So. Um, I think that's appropriate, uh, right? Because like the um, general population of vehicles in a state like California, um, some of them are relatively lower mileage and, and you know, it's just, it's harder to get, get to every last nook and cranny. Whereas if you look at kind of the tip of the spear of high mileage applications like ride sharing and other things, I do think that we should be able to go faster because the economics can work sooner for us. And, and we kind of um, do have these great channels to be talking to drivers and helping them uh, through the process to electrify.
2: Uh so are there any specific coming EV models that you're particularly excited about for for lift uh drivers?
1: Well, I mean, I think I'm just excited that there are so many EV models coming. I think that's what we need is competition and choice um and you know in in the ICE market there's all sorts of things people can and do drive and sometimes you know, riders want a larger vehicle. Sometimes they want a more luxurious vehicle for their business trip or whatever it is. And sometimes they just want to get where they're going in the quickest way possible, you know. So um, I think we need more EVs of all types. And the more we have, the, the easier it will be for people to be able to figure out which one of those fits their particular circumstance and uh, and get on the rip. Uh,
2: thank you. We actually have another minute here, so I'll just throw one more in here. What can you just say the the kind of split right now between, uh, drivers who are in that first group you described earlier, they have their own car, they came to the program, um, with it and the rental program. Can you say what, what the split is right now, generally at the company and how you see that changing over the next decade?
1: I don't know. I don't know the exact percentages. Um, but but it, it is like the large majority of cars that are in that first category of drivers who are bringing their own to the platform. Um, the rental program is a relatively smaller percentage but it's growing it's becoming more popular um and you know i think we do expect to see that continue to grow over time so there'll never be a world where it's all of one or all the other it'll always be a mix um so we will have to solve you know how to electrify both segments and and each presents its own unique challenges um but uh you know we're, we're going to be and working as far
2: on that. as as far as autonomous vehicles you um obviously think about it a lot are you at a point where we'll see where it goes or do you have something under the radar that you plans in that regard related to that topic that you perhaps uh, it's not public yet?
1: Well, um, that's a good point. So there is a third, you know, potential category of vehicles, which is the autonomous vehicles. Um, And uh, those also fall under our hundred percent EV commitment um, by 2030. So that may not mean that the very, very first AV that you take a ride in uh, will be electric but certainly by 2030 we intend for all of them to be electric
2: thank you very much really uh, exciting and happy to see your your focus on this topic at lyft um it's been something we've appreciated and enjoyed our designer actually at some point designed lyft tesla uh kind of oh, graphics yeah. for us it's that we use quite, graphics, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite pretty graphics that we use a, a lot so you know sort of a test i think a testament to our appreciation and uh, for what you guys are doing trying to to be leaders in this regard so thank you for that and thank, thank, you, for yes. <laughs> and thank <laughs> you for joining yes and thank you for we need to put some with other vehicles as well but right, uh, right, right. uh yeah uh but thank you for joining Clean Tech talk today as well listeners thank you for listening and uh, check in next time to get your electric fix
0: Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's ACCOUNTS at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. You